Hi, everyone, and welcome to Focus Forward, an executive function podcast where we explore the challenges and celebrate the wins you'll experience as you change your life through working on improving your executive function skills. I'm your host, Hannah Choi, and we're back. Did you miss me? I miss you, and I am so excited to be back in the podcastosphere. Okay, I think I may have just invented that word, but I'm going with it. We took two months off from dropping new episodes, and boy, did it fly by. If you ever catch yourself saying, two months is a nice long amount of time, stop yourself right there, because that is a lie. Two months is basically two seconds, so you better get going right away if you want to accomplish anything in that amount of time. Well, I guess first, you could listen to episode 11 in our first season, which was all about procrastination and how to make it a little easier to get going. But once you're done with that, get off your butt and get going. (laughs) Would you believe me when I say that that's only the first time you'll hear me say butt in this episode? As this new season of Focus Forward begins, I'm diving right in to tackle some tough stuff with Rachel Holstein Lowe, who is a licensed independent clinical social worker in the Boston area. Rachel and I talked about supporting ourselves and our kids through challenging transitions, especially back to school. If you're listening to this episode months after school has started, or you're not even a parent or a caregiver of children, don't change a channel because the ideas that Rachel shared can be used at any time by anyone in any transition. We also talked about mindfulness and some easy ways to introduce mindfulness into your life. And we also touched upon both how to talk with our kids and support ourselves when incomprehensibly sad and complicated situations are happening in our country and in the world. And while the topics are heavy, this conversation is full of good ideas and hope. All right. Well, hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you. Hi, Hannah. It's really nice to be here. I'm really glad we're able to to come together. Me too. It took us a while, huh? We had some starts and stops there. My family ended up with COVID and there was summer traveling in there, but making it happen. Yes. Well, Um, I'm glad we persevered. (laughs) Well, would you like to um, introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. So I'm Rachel Holstein Lowe and I'm a licensed independent clinical social worker. I'm based in uh, the Metro West Boston area, and I have a private practice there. Um, I've been in private practice for 12 years here, um, but I've been a clinician for nearly 20. Um, And I work with a lot of kids and teens and their parents around all kinds of issues, executive functioning being one of many. Um, and certainly that's, that, that cluster of skills is so impacted by kind of what, whatever else is going on yeah. in a young person's life that I think, honestly, probably any client I see, kid and adult alike, we're talking about those things, whether or not we're using that language. Right. Something that you said made me just think about like why they're called executive function skills, right? They're just skills that help us execute our day. And so mm-hmm. it makes sense that they're tied up with everything. And mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. you said, you might not use that language, but um, learning how our mental health impacts our executive function skills and vice versa is such a valuable skill. And 
I love that more and more conversations are being had around executive function and more and more people are learning those words and what that means Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how important they are. And it's not just, you know, organization and time management. It's the emotions that are involved with how you feel when you are disorganized or when you can't manage your time or how you feel when you figure out how to get organized and how to maintain that organization and Mm -hmm. how to, like, if you finally figure out a way to not forget to go to appointments or you finally get to your appointments on time, Mm -hmm. how, what a huge impact that has on your, how you feel about yourself. Yeah. I love that, 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 I love how that you said that it comes up in the conversations and yet you recognize as a practitioner that that is what's that is what's being talked about, whether you use those words Same. or not. Same. I think there's a kind of a growing awareness that these aren't things that we just have. Yeah. Right? They're skills that we have to develop and 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 work at. Mm-hmm. Um and similarly, and I think also going what what societally speaking is that we're we're increasingly aware that there's not that the mind and the body are actually <laughs> connected yeah. and not right. The mind isn't just being transported mm-hmm. by the body. So yeah. I feel like that there's a growing awareness and understanding about about that mm-hmm. um, that allows for us to have a different kind of conversation and a different way of working. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Similarly, I find. I, I I see a, a look of almost relief, I would say, on my clients when I explain or when we talk about um, how the brain is causing the challenges that that they that they're having. And so I feel like I see this relief, like, oh, it's not me. It's my brain. And so like learning that connection between the brain and the body and yes. and why we do what we do and don't do what we don't do all yeah. comes from the brain. I don't know. For me, it really helps me understand it. And I, and I do see like, oh, okay. So I'm not just like bad at something. My brain, there's something going on in my brain that makes it more challenging. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 And also what I see with people when they learn about how the brain works or how, and then more specifically how their own brain might be working, right? How it might be processing information um, or being triggered, right? How the stress response gets triggered. Like the more they understand that, the more agency they feel like they have. Like, oh, there's actually something I could do Do. in that moment that yeah. might not take the stressor away, but I could feel a little bit better. I could feel a little calmer. I could feel a little more, you know, capable in that moment. And that that is really exciting to see yeah. how quickly somebody can go from a place of just being like, oh, this is the way it's going to be to, oh, right. oh, I could actually, that actually worked. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like we do a breath technique and like, oh, well, I actually do feel different. Like I can actually sense a difference in my in my brain and in my body. And that yeah. allows me to make a different choice. And that's just, I think that's, that's really exciting. That's, it that's is. an, that's an exciting part of the work, right? When you it see really somebody is. unlock. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so that makes me think about the idea of this practice, right? So they call it like a meditation practice or a me- yeah. mindfulness practice. And so that means that we have to do these things over and over again to get 
better at them, right? And so it makes me think of all these strategies that we use to support ourselves in areas where we might struggle. You can't just do it once, right? You can do it once and and experience the benefit of that one time, but you need to do it again and again. And it makes me think of how at the beginning of the like beginning of any kind of transition, any kind of change, we might Mm -hmm. feel like super organized and we've got our like ducks in a row, like at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the school year, like, I don't know, with my, my kids, right. They've, they've got their checklists and they're, you know, and they've got their backpacks already and they know exactly what they're going to do. And so the first week of school, they've kind of got it together and they remember to do the things they're going to do. And then already this week I'm seeing, we started last week and already this week I'm seeing it starting to fall apart. And, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, and on my end too, like my, um, my, the energy that I have to help them maintain the system that we're trying to build is challenging. So do you, how do you support your your clients or just what do you recommend for people to, once they start to try to set up that practice, whatever it is, practice of fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. how do you um, help people keep that going and not experience what I'm already experiencing only in week two? Yeah. When we're starting, when we're kind of entering these big transition moments, um, I think there, there can be a lot of hope that kids and parents alike have about the new year and, you know, we got to clean the slate and there's all this opportunity and we're going to, um, you're going to learn so much. You're going to grow so much. You're going to try new things. Um, and that, that can all be true. There's also, you know, plenty of kids and parents who are thinking, oh man, not again. Right. And are really expecting it to be hard because it has been, um, or because they're tired, right? And just like the idea of having to like get up and go, like they did, like they don't, right? They don't have it. <laughs> or don't feel like they have it. Or there's, or there's other situations in their life, other circumstances in their life that exactly literally makes it challenging. Like if they work at night, or mm-hmm. if they're mm-hmm. stressed in some other in the financial way, or if they don't feel like they have support. Right. Yeah. Right. So. I mean, I think we can, on both cases, we want to be looking at kind of setting some some realistic expectations. So what are some questions um, and interactions that parents can have to support their kids to get to a place of, of seeing situations in a more kind of realistic way? I think sometimes parents, uh, you know, we're, we're often handicapped because we often ask the question, how was your day? And we hear crickets. <laughs> um, Guilty. I think there's a lot of reasons for that and understandable reasons for that. I think, so sometimes I think there's there's also like how we go about it matters a lot. How much we're asking, when we're asking, what we're expecting to get back. Um, so the timing, waiting until we're in the car, that we're not, right? Like those, and, and those kind of tactics that I think are becoming more and more like people kind of get like, oh yeah, if we're not making direct eye contact, maybe if we're just yeah. sitting next to each other in the car or on the couch, yeah. it might yeah. be an easier interaction. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've heard, I've heard lots of um, suggestions about having difficult conversations in the car because mm-hmm. you as a driver are slightly distracted. You're not going to be able to be like super, super involved in the conversation. You don't have to look at each other. Yeah. You can pause and pretend that 
you're concentrating yeah. on your driving when really you're like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You can clench the yeah. <laughs> well, if need be. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's, I think it could actually be really useful um, in terms of timing. But then I think also as parents, you know, I have a unique position with the young people I see. And, and you know, you do too in that I, I'm going to interact with them for at best 45 to 60 minutes a week. Yeah, yeah. And then they're going to go, right? They're going to plop into my office or I'm going to meet them virtually and I'm, I'm going to get some stuff and we're going to have a nice conversation. But they don't really – they don't owe me anything beyond that, nor do I them. And that's a, that's a really unique experience. I really try hard to let parents know, like, they – because of that, they are going to share something with me that I think is just fundamentally different. But the ways that parents can maybe maximize conversation is to really start to use the therapeutic models in terms of like really starting from the place of, I want to show you that I get and understand your emotional world, or at least maybe I don't know all the details and I can't pretend that I've lived that experience myself, but I know what it's like to be anxious I know what it's like to be mad. I know what it's like to be jilted. I know what it's like to worry about a test. Like, I know those things. So when our kid is showing that emotion, we're joining with that. And we're starting from that place. So, ra- so right, so we're really starting from a place of letting our kid know, I, I get that feeling state. I, this, this reminds me of a conversation that I had earlier in last season of the podcast with Sherry Flatervish, um, who is a therapist in the Chicago area. And she was talking about the idea of co-regulation and mm-hmm. how, um, how just even just sh- like sh- as much as you can as a parent sharing in the emotion with your child can mm-hmm. show them, like you said, validate their feelings and can help yeah. them um, work through it or just it shows them yeah. it's okay to feel this way and to just, it's okay to just sit in that feeling and, yeah. and just being physically near them can help. Or, yes. And then one thing yes. that she said that, that really um, resonated with me is like, I, I noticed like, I don't, I don't want to get it wrong when I'm interacting with my kids or my clients. Like I don't want to, well, up until I talked with her, I didn't want to get it wrong. I didn't want to, I wanted to be able to guess their emotion and get it right. And, and then, so, so I would hesitate to try to, to try to help them figure out what they were feeling because yeah, I didn't want to be wrong. And she said, it's okay to be wrong yeah, because it can, one, it can help them. It just shows them that you're trying to connect with them. And two, it can actually help them figure out what they are really feeling. Yeah. And cause they can, if you guess wrong, then they can say, oh, well, no, it's not actually that. It's and then it gets them to think about yes. it. And, yeah. Yes. So as parents, we might be hesitant to engage with our children about emotion in case we get it wrong or in case they don't want to talk about it. But maybe just showing them that we are open to talking about it and that we have feelings too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It must be very validating for, for the kids. Absolutely. I think, I mean, I think all of us are looking for that sense of being seen and heard. And when we really experience that, that there's, it can't be beat, right? Regardless, regardless of age, we we were so hungry to be seen and heard 
and understood. Yeah. yeah. We really want to be, all... we really want to be known. We really yeah. want to be known. Yeah. You just yeah. see people's reactions. Like sometimes you just see a silly meme and, and, and then, and oftentimes people's responses, I feel seen. Yes. You know, like, like I yeah. remember one was like, yeah. um, you know, I use my microwave as my, as my coffee storage. And I was just like, yeah, me too. That's like yeah. where I keep my tea. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So no yeah. matter what it is, it does feel good to be seen. And how, and that, what a great opportunity to enrich your relationship with your child. And I think what often happens if we don't feel validated and known and understood, if our kid doesn't, um, then they're going to keep throwing things out mm. to try to get you to get it. Yeah. Right. And what that typically looks like is dysregulation mm. and protest and resistance, right? Yeah. Um, that's how we experience it. But I think what they're actually trying to communicate is, can you, could you please like see yeah. me? See me. See me. Yeah. 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 And once we see them, we what we tend to see more often than not is that really drops down. Mm-hmm. And then we can then we can have a conversation about well, what what happened and what do you want to do next? Yeah. And is there a way, is there a way for me as your parent to do, to, to be a part of that? Or is it more that you just needed me to know this is going on? Mm. And it no, that's a great kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you can't do anything. Yeah. And I'm here for you. I yeah. think the, our older, right. As our kids get older, our role more and more really is to take more of a backseat and allow them to try things and probably not always do it correctly, but to say, I, I got your back here no matter what, Kimo. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, you can tr- go out and try those things and come back and tell me about them um, and try again. You know, yep. that's, that's, that's what we, that's what we hope for. That yeah. is not an easy task as a parent. No. That's really, that can be excruciating. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and also I feel like, you know, as when our kids are little, we can the the things that we do for them are very tangible, right? Like yes. we get we fill their cereal yeah. bowl with milk. Yeah. You're hungry? I'll pour the milk for you. Yeah. Um you you've grown out of your clothes, here's some new clothes that fit. Yeah. But then as they get older, the connecting with someone emotionally is not like a thing you can hold. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not milk you can pour. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. it, I'm, I imagine, I know for myself, but I, I imagine for other people that transition from helping in a real tangible way to helping in just like a, a sort of invisible support way is, is, uh, it's different. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to back off like that. It is. It is. It is. I think particularly as parents, I will say I've had, one client in particular, I think of I've worked with for a long time and through a lot of a, a lot of life. This 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 nineteen year old has seen a lot. Um, but something she shared with me recently was very early on in her work. It was just excruciatingly painful for her to articulate really what was going on mm-hmm. internally. I could see it. We could we could see it, but we didn't know. Yeah. There weren't words. And she said one of the one of the things that allowed her to keep coming back was that I just sat. I literally sat yeah. with her. I, we didn't, I didn't force conversation. Sometimes we passed a notebook back and forth to each other. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those were drawings. Those yeah. weren't always words. Yeah. Um, but that went on 
for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, what, you know, what it, the message she got was, it was okay. Mm -hmm. I could hold it. And I think that's, that's really, that's really the intention here is to say, I can handle it as a parent. I can handle it. I don't like it. It's really yucky, but I, I can handle it. And I think that speaks to what you were talking about with this other therapist talking about that co-regulation piece. Yeah. 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 And what a nice, um, if you can get, if you as a parent can get to a place where you can do that and feel comfortable doing that, such a gift for you, your child and your relationship. Yeah. And future relationship. Because I think what we forget sometimes either as parents or, or as providers, frankly, is that Sometimes the people we're working with or our kids already have the answers in them. Mm. They just are so overwhelmed that they can't access them in that moment. But if we provide them space, right, to sit with it and feel it and it's okay and it passes as emotions do, right, they're not not permanent, they're temporary, Mm -hmm. the cloud Mm -hmm. moves, right, the sun Mm -hmm. comes out again, um... And then, oh, right, a solution appears, right? Or maybe not a solution, but at least something to try. I think another really cool thing to try is to, is doing some imagery or doing some, just some imagining around the, this event being a success, Right. And like kind of step by step. So really, uh, it can be a little bit painstaking, but really breaking it down into like, I'm going to, I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to walk out the door. I'm going to take these steps into the, into the school. Like really like at, at, at all those moments where there might be a seizing up that, that we're imagining, well, what can I do in that moment? What's that going to feel like in my body? And what, who am I going to need? What connection, you know, what can I remember? What can I have with me? What can Mm -hmm. I hold in my hand? Like all kinds of ways of imagining each step of that transition or that moment being a success. Hearing that is very validating for me because, um, I, I struggle with some anxiety and, um, and, when I'm lying in bed the night before a day where I know that I'm going to be doing some things that um, that I'm anxious about, mm-hmm. I will en- envision my day. I I make myself like I imagine myself getting up, getting ready, um, you know, doing like I I walk myself doing through all of yeah. the things. Awesome and. Yeah. And I usually don't even make it to the end of the day because I fall asleep (laughs) before I get there. But it has been the it has been one of the most helpful things that I have done for myself um, dealing with an upcoming stressor. Uh huh. Yeah. So one other thing to be thinking about um, when we're thinking about these big transition moments. Right. So there's there's all kinds of things to be keeping in mind. But um, I do want to say kind of the importance of routines. Um, so we know kids sleep (laughs) is really crucial and I'm, you know, I don't want to be judge and jury on that. I just want to say like having a regular bedtime and wake up time, regardless of age is really important in terms of good sleep hygiene and in terms of maximizing brain capacity and, and, overall health benefits. Like the data is undeniable. It's just undeniable. So the more we can support 
that kind of routine is is gonna we're going to see a better regulated and a more ready kid for the day. Yeah. So whatever we can do to support that. Mm-hmm. Um and nutrition. Um I don't, you know, I'm not a dietitian so I'm not getting I'm not going to get into the details of that, but what I will say that falls under that umbrella is there's also very strong data about family dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in our world and in a lot of family systems, people have a lot of competing schedules. Yeah. And the idea of having family dinner, like, are you nuts? I am not in any way saying it needs to happen every night. If it is, like, gold star. <laughs> However, having some sacredness, having some, having some, having some way of saying this night is family dinner night and we honor that and we respect that. And that doesn't mean that I have to spend an hour making said family dinner, but that we sat down and maybe we sat down at, (laughs) maybe we didn't sit down. Maybe we ate at the counter because somebody has to go in 20 minutes, but we came together as a family and we had that slice Mm. of pizza together and I made eye contact with you. And I had an opportunity to say, this happened to me today. Or, huh, hey, I remember now you were, something was going to, you know, you know, you were telling me about so-and-so. Mm-hmm. What ended up happening was so-and-so. Having a chance to do that, A, it, it reinforces that the family is a team. Mm-hmm. And we, God, we need each other. We need each other so, so much. Yeah. It, uh, it reinforces the idea that I got your back. Mm. I got your back. I'm here. Even though I'm all these places, I'm here. So right now. Yeah. that routine, if it's not there, I think that could go a, a long way towards building your kids' emotional health. Yeah, and I, I that was something that I heard a lot about, like during the height of the pandemic, when there was a lot of, you know, when we were all stuck at home, that that we ate dinner together, and it was so nice. I heard that from so many people. Yeah, yeah. And is there anything else you'd like to add about managing transitions and dealing with all the feelings around those? I think it's, and we've said it, but I'll it it bears repeating that. I think it's important to normalize that these transitions are stressful. So the more we can actively say, yep, starting school is right. Like there's parts of it that are really hard. Starting something new is usually hard. Change is usually hard. We, we as humans don't usually like to go from one thing to a new thing. Like there's an adjust, there's an adjustment to that. The more we can normalize it, there's going to be stress for that. There's going to be stress for everybody in the family, not just the kid going to, to school. You know, the past two years, two and a half years has added a level of stress that maybe now it's not as overt, right? It's not as in our face now, but the, um, that, low level vibration of stress that we are still all feeling whether we are aware of it or not. Yeah. Um, I imagine makes everything just like a little bit or a lot harder. Yeah. 
depending on the person. Oh, I think there's so much yet to come out about all of this, right? I think there, I think there was a book released mm, maybe in the last month, right, about the negative impacts educationally, academically, mm. which is kind of scathing. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I think it's yeah. a little brutal. Um, and that I'm sure that's the first of many. What, what I'm seeing kids across the board struggle with it, that was always there, but I, I, you know, in terms of the, like you're talking about that low level vibration. So for some, it's a low level vibration and others, it's like it was before the pandemic and now it's a full fledged problem. Our social skills. Yes. Right. And, yeah. and that, that yeah. covers a whole lot of right. ground. Right. Um, so I can get more specific about that. Very low, lowered distress tolerance. I'm going to define that as, you know, life is stressful. We wake up in the morning. Like, if we're going to get out of bed, we're going to experience some stress. Plain and simple. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Dr. Lisa Damore. Oh, yes. I actually have one of her books. I haven't read it yet, but I have. Yeah, she's, I, I just think she's great. I've had the good fortune of being in an audience hearing her talk a couple of times, actually. Um and she's the one who said, you know, like, if you're going to get out of bed in the morning, you're going to experience stress. Like, that's just yeah. a given. Yeah. Um, but the, then the, the body and the mind's capacity then to, like, manage that and kind of get on with it and, and, and deal with the day is a measure of your tolerance of that stress. And what I'm seeing, I think, profoundly, actually, is uh, it doesn't take much. Yeah. To feel pretty overwhelmed. Yeah. Pretty ready to say, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not doing that. That's not yeah. happening today. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. talk to this person, you know, in a way that it, it wasn't, it's different. It's different. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, exp- my sister and I were just talking recently about how before the pandemic, I'm a, I'm an extrovert and I love socializing. I love planning parties and I love planning a chance to go out with friends or to, you know, connect with other people. And I find it difficult now, which is crazy because yeah. it was something that I craved doing before and I have to force myself to do now, yeah. which is, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's getting better. I'm getting much better. Yeah, I had but a party does, this weekend. But it does kind of make you go, wow, like, yeah, yeah. And you don't know what's happening to you, but then, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The third thing that it it saddens me to say it, but I I, and I don't know honestly how much of this is truly actually anxiety, but it gets it it get it manifests as cynicism. Mm-hmm. But that kind of like writing things off, mm-hmm. um, is. There's an awareness of the world that I think is like inevitable. Like I think it just like I don't think there was any way to avoid that in, for our, for our kids and our teens. But I think what what I'm seeing coming with that is a cynicism that is that is new, and I find and, that really sad. Yeah, and how do how does that uh, manifest? Like how do you what do you see that? Shows uh, that? I I guess maybe a better word, maybe a more clinical word to use was would be more, more hopelessness, more, Mm -hmm. more sense of doom, more sense Mm -hmm. of like, what's the point, more apathy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. That That is is heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And I suppose the repeated exposure to things not working out 
is, yeah. you know, makes sense that you yeah. start to believe that that's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've lived through a very challenging health crisis, but we have many, many other, you know, you know, the, yeah. the meme of the, the dumpster on fire. Yeah. Right. You know, that we connect with that. <laughs> yeah. um, and our kids do too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in, how, then how does, how does a kid brain process that? What if, you know, what, where did, where do they go from there? I have struggled, not struggled, but for much of my adult life, I would like to become someone who meditates. It's something that I, I like I've read a lot about the science and I understand why it's good for us. And I, I have experienced the benefits of it the few times that I have gotten myself to meditate. And, but I cannot yet, I have not yet, yet. I'm trying to use the, you know, <laughs> Um, growth mindset language, <laughs> right. open mindset. Open mindset. Yes. I have yeah. not yeah. yet built it into uh, built a practice mm-hmm. of it into my life, which I'm sure would help me deal with the fallout of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, um, you know, yeah. how do you, how do you, from your perspective, how do you support someone who, you know, um, is open to trying something, mm-hmm. does try it and then wants mm-hmm. to, you know, feels the benefit of it and then wants to keep that as a practice that they that they do in their life. Well, for, if we're talking specifically about like a mindfulness or a meditation practice, something I really encourage my clients to think about, and honestly myself, right, is that mindfulness doesn't have to be sitting in full lotus on a mat, being quiet. It can be. It can be. Um but not everybody's gonna gonna do that, and that and that's fine. That's that's I don't I don't think that was anybody's intention, mm-hmm. right? Of kind of like expanding this idea of of, of mindfulness and, and meditation practice. So there's a lot of ways to come at it that might be more palatable, mm-hmm. depending on who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ways I really like to introduce it to to people who are like, yeah, that's not me, <laughs> right? Because I hear that a lot. And it makes sense. Yeah. It isn't yeah. that that particular way. Yeah. That isn't that isn't everybody. Yeah. Um, is the idea of taking something that you do habitually every day, maybe even multiple times a day, and do it slightly differently. Mm-hmm. So an example of that could be brushing your hair, brushing your teeth, getting out of the shower. Um, okay, these habitual acts. And I say habitual in very intentionally because it has to be something that you are doing really on autopilot. Ah, yeah, where you don't think okay? about it. You don't think about it. You just do it, and then it's done. Um, and if anybody asked you, how did you do that, you'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> just did it. I just did it. So how do you change it up? So here's a silly one. You know, like if you put makeup on, let's say you put on mascara, you start on the on the opposite, mm. or you hold the wand with the other hand. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, or you brush your well teeth. You brush your teeth. You probably start on the same side. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. Right. So if you stopped and thought about it, you would have to go to a different place in your ah, mouth. Okay. Okay. Or like dry your body off in a different order. Yeah. Ah, okay. Exactly. Exactly. So it's really simple. 
it's just so, so, so simple, basic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and is that, and it works because it makes you bring your attention back to the thing that you're doing. Like you start to wander off and then you're like, wait a second, I'm drawing my arm. I'm drawing precisely. my arm at this point when normally I'd be at my yeah. leg or whatever. Brings yeah. You back yeah. To it. Okay. And okay. thanks for saying that because mindfulness, again, is not about like. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's the and, image yeah. we have. Right. Right. Mindfulness, really, I think, the way I think about a mindfulness practice is that I'm present moment focused. Mm. And my, I'm bringing as many of my senses mm. into that present moment as possible. So I'm right here, right now. I'm not rehashing the conversation I had before logging in with you any more than I'm anticipating the session I have at one o'clock. Yeah. I'm right here. Yeah. So I'm in my body. I'm in this, I'm in this moment. Um, and so... Again, like that doesn't have to be this. So, yeah. So if I have to think about that, where that towel is, <laughs> then I'm thinking about my hand. I'm feeling the towel, right? I am a, I'm very aware of what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it that. doesn't have to last a long period of time. Right. Um, and every time, like, you, you're, you're very naturally, you're, we have monkey brains like we do they they jump around that's what they do that doesn't mean we're doing it wrong it means every time we catch that we have a monkey brain every time we realize oh i'm not thinking about toweling myself off anymore yeah, right we were mindful like yeah. success done yeah. check right Woo, right bravo right, right? Every yeah. time we catch it yeah you just practice mindfulness mm. which i you know, i I hope that that approach, that, that approach for me, when I was taught that way to me, it was like it totally demystified it and made it like, oh, well, I can do that. Right, right. Yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling really, (laughs) it's funny, this conversation does actually like make me feel a little bit of, a little bit better (laughs) about my, about myself, (laughs) because I do see it as like a sitting and, and Mm -hmm. breathing and bringing myself back to my feeling the pressure of my, you know, butt on the floor or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they always yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. But um but it doesn't have to be that way. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean no one is going to argue the value of having a dedicated yes. meditative right. practice. Yes. There I mean there is data and it yes. is Science phenomenal sense. actually. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. So I would in no way discourage for working towards that. Yes. Right. And that's my point. I guess that's my point is that I am I'm going to use your idea of of um switching things up and seeing that and valuing that as mindfulness to see the benefit to help me get to sit and feel my butt on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to add one other really critical piece. Yeah. And that is non-judgment. Yes. Yes. So I think that one gets missed. Because we, we don't do a meditation perfection. We do a meditation practice. Right? These philosophies, these ideas are based, right? Like a basic tenet of them is that we're present moment focused 
non-judgmentally. So however I'm showing up, whatever's going on, however many times I have to catch myself, right? Right in a in in a sixty minute a sixty seconds, my mind wanders sixty times, right? Who cares? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So that's not something that we come to immediately, right? That that I think honestly, I think that piece of it is harder. Yeah. Than the redirecting the brain. Yeah. Right, right. Especially because we get, you know, throughout our lives, we get so many messages that say we are being judged. You know, mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. we are told that you know with grades and and mm-hmm. you know at work and yeah, it's so separating yourself from that kind of thinking is challenging. Is really hard. What you what you just said about how it's not just the pandemic that we've been dealing with, but a whole lot of other really deeply emotional and traumatic events that have happened, you know, for people and, 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 you know, related directly to the pandemic, like death and illness and long COVID. And then the really Mm -hmm. sad stuff that's going on, you know, Mm -hmm. with, um, with racism and, um, and school shootings and just, uh, you know, the stress of the government and climate, um, you know, that, that kind of stuff, really impacts us as adults because we are much more cognizant of what's going on. We really, you know, we're aware of it. We are exposed much more directly to it than our children are. Um, But our children can also be exposed to it in ways that we can't regulate. Like we don't know exactly what they're being exposed to um, and how they're, how they're getting the information. Like we know how we're getting it, but we don't know how they're getting it. Yes. So what are some things that we, as parents and also as caregivers, because I'm sure there are people listening that are not parents, but they maybe mm-hmm. they're they interact mm-hmm. with children in in some way. How do we approach that those interactions in a developmentally appropriate way, in a way that we are comfortable with, and a way that you know both supports them, meets their needs, and protects them at the same time? Sounds pretty daunting to me. I know as a it parent is, with it, my own it kids, is I. It's, yes. it's hard. It is daunting. And what that reminds me of, not to go too far off on a tangent, but I, I do think it's really relevant, is, is um, you know, we were just talking about this common denominator of, 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 living through, of living through this pandemic and how that's been this equalizer in terms of, like, it's all something that we can talk about. We've all struggled with it. We've all had our own lives impacted literally every person, right? So... And there's a real opportunity to kind of come together through that in terms of that shared experience. So what that has meant for me as a provider and where I think this is so relevant then when we're talking about, you know, as a parent or as an adult interacting with a kid about these other world events is having a decent way of like checking in with myself. Like, where am I at with this? And am I regulated? Yeah. (laughs) Enough to be able to have this conversation, to be able to kind of step in to this space with this, this person. Um, and, and at times having to, you know, being, being able to say, wow, this is really hard for me to, to talk about, or I haven't quite wrapped my head around where I'm at with this. I, I'm really sad about this. This really makes me angry. Like being able to name, what we have as adults, hopefully, is we've got a little more skill 
-hmm. in being able to recognize what our own emotional state is and a little more capacity to be able to verbalize that in an appropriate Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. So that's not only like just like good human behavior, but it's also really good modeling Mm -hmm. for our kids. So I think Mm -hmm. like that's got to be our starting place is like, do, am I like, am I okay enough? <laughs> right. Have I checked my own ideas about this? Have I had an opportunity to process this and digest it enough that I can, you know, have a conversation about it? Yeah. And if I, if I'm not, then do I have time to do that work or can I say, wow, I don't, you know, I want to talk about this. This is important. And it's really bothering me too. Like maybe that's like, maybe that's enough. Mm-hmm. I have been really pleasantly surprised, but surprised about how much of this content has been coming up for my, my kid in particular in high, in high school, um, that mm-hmm. the vast majority of their knowing is coming from, is coming from class. Mm-hmm. So it's been really like on a very personal, it's been really useful to say, okay, well, tell me about that class discussion because then I, at least I have a, I know where their starting place is, right? right? right. But I think it can be useful to just say that, you know, there might be a lot of other ways of looking at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Teaching that perspective taking and. Yeah. That's some of that perspective taking. Um. And sometimes our kids may have already taken a side on it um, and it's, you know, it's worth kind of understanding where, where they're at. They might just be really, really activated. They might be really scared. And again, like that goes back to kind of where we started this whole conversation of like, well, let's, let's focus in on that. What's that emotional piece? Like, and under showing that understanding and and compassion for, you know, whatever the fear is that's coming up or the anger that's coming up, the outrage that's coming up and that we we have feelings about it too and, and feelings about it we too. can yeah. have different feelings about it or we can share feelings about yeah. it. yeah I think yep. it's such a great opportunity something that you said um it's made me think that it's conversations around challenging topics like this is such a great opportunity to teach kids the value of not having black and white thinking and mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. even just the value of not doing black and white thinking, but how, like how Mm -hmm. to, um, Mm -hmm. not think that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, it reminds me of, um, the conversation that I had with Jackie Wolfman, who is a dialectical behavior therapist and the whole idea of, of being able to hold, um, opposite feelings about one thing at the same time. And, and also that extends to relationship with your family, like you might feel differently about something than mm-hmm. your child or mm-hmm. than your parent, but you can still connect and, and love each other and you know, right. have a relationship. So another, a kind of another example of that in my own, in my own household um, is my daughter getting a lot of information about, um, about, about political things and having very strong opinions and having classmates with very opposing opinions. And that was an opportunity to have kind of that dialectical, right, conversation about you can agree and still be respectful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you can agree yeah. and actually still like this person. You can disagree yeah. and actually still like this person. Yeah. Well, I lived it because yeah. I'm a Red Sox fan and I married a Yankees fan. So, Ooh. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you're living it every day. I am. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before we go, um, can you share with our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, so I'm physically located in Needham, Massachusetts. So for anyone who's in the in local to me in the Metro West Boston area, they can find me at the phone number 617-470-9035. But I also have a lot of digital content and plan on offering more in terms of some parenting webinars, um, anxiety classes and strategies for kiddos. And you can find all of that on my website and register for upcoming stuff at www.parentcoach.info. In fact, I've got a in-person class for kids called Fear Busters for Kids this Thursday, October 6th. And I have a parenting webinar the following day, Friday, October 7th. Um, and people literally can log in from anywhere for that that's exciting maybe i'll come yeah so thanks again hannah thank you so much rachel what a wonderful conversation i feel like i could talk to you all day it's really really interesting well it's been really nice and that's our show for today we'll be back with more interesting conversations tips and tricks for improving your executive function skills, and stories of success from people who are working on their own executive function skills. Thank you for being here for our second season and taking time out of your day to listen. If you are enjoying learning about these important topics we cover in each episode of Focus Forward, please share it with your friends. And be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast at beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast. We'll let you know when new episodes drop and we'll share topics and information related to the topic. You can now find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So be sure to add us. Thanks for listening.